Well, good morning, RCC. It's good to be with you guys. You are the true followers of Jesus coming here on Labor Day weekend. Excited that you're here. My name is Ben Seaman. I serve as the lead pastor at RCC. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time with us or you're watching us online, welcome. Uh, You should have received a program when you walked in. If you did not, there's one in the chair seat back in front of you. Uh, Something we do every weekend. I want to invite our entire church. If you're watching online, you can fill out our connect card digitally. Uh, Just go ahead and fill this guy out at the bottom of your program. We'd love to grab your name and email. If there's anything we can be praying for you about, let us know. Our staff prays for you every Tuesday. Uh, We have a prayer team that's praying for you throughout the week. Uh, So we love praying for you and hearing your needs. If this happens to be uh, your first Sunday, welcome. Uh, Whether you've watched us online for a while and you're showing up physically for the first time, we're so thrilled to have you. Uh, Would you hold on to your Connect card? And at the end of the service, on your way out by the main entrance, there's a connection point. It's a big yellow wall with an iPad and an iPad stand. Would you go ahead and turn that Connect card in? There's a free gift we'd love to give you, just a simple way to say thank you uh, for coming to RCC. So as you guys are filling that out, I want to make you aware of a few things that are happening in the life of our church. Uh, School is back in session. Can I get an amen, parents? (laughs) So next Sunday night, we are kicking off our student ministry uh, here at RCC. So if you are in middle school or high school, these are your plans, okay? So tell your friends, put it on Snapchat, Instagram, promote it on your Instagram story account. Get your friends here next weekend. Our, our family ministry team has done a phenomenal job, not just preparing for this event, but really what we're talking about in this series, providing an opportunity for parents to broaden their circle of influence so that other adults can shepherd the hearts of your your students. So that's happening next weekend. Just show up. It's that that simple. Just come and see. It'll be a lot of fun. Also, we want to make you aware of uh, the Salem Fest or Salem 5K is happening in just a few weeks. If you are available and want to serve at that, uh, running isn't your thing. You just like watching people run and giving out water. Uh, We'd love for you to be a part of that uh, if you're available. It's just another way for us to tell our community uh, we love you. Uh, friends, in just a moment, we're going to collect our offering. Uh, this is for people that call RCC home. It, it, it's a spiritual discipline. We believe that Jesus values generosity. And before we collect our offering, I just want to brag on you guys uh, for a minute and just let you know uh, where um, we've experienced some wins over the last couple of weeks. Uh, over the last six to eight weeks, we've had three uh, folks join our Kids Rock team for the first time. Uh, which is awesome. We've had four family units uh, give financially for the very first time. That's a big deal, okay? Uh, Because it's as big of a deal as saying, you know what? I want to belong in a small group. I want to join a serving team. When when, when you give, it doesn't matter the amount, when you give for the very first time, that's a trust statement that you're making with the Lord and you're making with, uh, that you're making with the church. And so, uh, I don't know who you are, but I, w- I want to say thank you uh, for doing that. We also had, believe this or not, it's hard to believe on a weekend like this because a lot of people are at the lake, okay? But, but you guys are going to make it into heaven. Um, <laughs> we, we had seven families, seven family units experience RCC for the first time over the last six to eight weeks. Now, that is huge. You, know, you need to give it up, all right? That, that is huge. Because he, he, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. A church our size 
has to really break through the family barrier. And by that, I mean it's easy to come here and talk to the people that we know, and it's easy just to, you know, wait till next Sunday to meet someone uh, that may or may not come back. So I want to encourage our church every Sunday, if this is your home, uh, arrive 10 minutes earlier than you used to, grab a cup of coffee, find three folks that are new to RCC or new uh, to you, and, and take an opportunity to get to know them. Because right now, our weekend experience is the connection point uh, before we launch uh, small groups here in a couple of months. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for uh, inviting your friends, and thank you for taking next steps to help build our church. Let's pray. We'll collect the offering and uh, continue our sermon series, Enemies of the Heart. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for an opportunity to gather together. Uh, thank you for a weekend. Thank you for rest, an extra day off, and to join in, whether on Facebook Live or here in person. Uh, thank you that you are working in our midst and people are saying yes. Generosity really does help us tell better stories. Bless this offering. Do with it more than we could on our own. Uh, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, believe it or not, we are at the end of our five-week teaching series, the first series we've done since I've uh, joined the RCC team, and, and we've been uh, talking about enemies of the heart. And, and the reason why, you know, I could start anywhere, you know, uh, uh, to be funny, maybe, maybe we should have started in Leviticus, but I don't know how helpful that would have been, although the middle school boys would have loved that, especially with the goat part. But I wanted to start by talking about what I think is the most critical piece about our discipleship. And uh, uh, against popular opinion in our Western world, where we get paid lots of money to know things, uh, the heart really is the, the most critical piece in the discipleship process. Uh, Jesus and most uh, first century Jewish rabbis would believe that the heart is not just the seed of emotions, but it's also the decision of the will. There's more going on in here than we realize. Problem is, when we were growing up, we were told, if you behave, good things will happen. Uh, maybe this has been your story when I was a kid. I was told if I behave well in the store, I might get a three musketeer uh, at, the, at the end of the trip. And you can tell I was a good kid. Uh, I had a lot of three musketeers, right? And, and we do that. Look, I'm not a parent. I'm not judging, all right? I'm just observing. I, I, I get it. But we're taught at a young age, <clears throat> if you <clears throat> behave well in certain situations, you can really get far in life, even if your heart uh, isn't uh, in the behavior, even if your heart has ill will and ill in intentions. Jesus, we talked about this in week one, has a, has a description for those kinds of people. He calls them hypocrites. Now, now this is beyond what my non-Christian friends would use the word hypocrites with people that go to church but don't live it. No, no, no. Th th this is somebody trying to dupe you, thinking that their outward behavior is reflective of the heart. This is not, we, we are minimizing the word hypocrite when we just keep it to religion. Uh, this is an everyday thing. So we said the big idea for the series, hopefully you've memorized it by now, uh, who you are becoming is more important than what you're doing. And so giving Jesus access to develop your heart 
the behavior will follow eventually, right? Because you're so in love with your creator that you want to follow him. So we, we've been exploring a few emotions, and there are, I mean, we, we're, we're not even touching on fear. I mean, that, that's a huge one. Uh, there are so many emotions that hold us back from the life Jesus invites us into. In John 10, he says, I've come to give life to the fullest. And so we've talked about uh, emotions like guilt, and guilt says, I owe you, to which Jesus tells Peter, you need to be a person who practices confession, not just between you and the Lord, but, uh, and not, and not, not, let me say this intentionally here, not between you and a religious person on staff at a church, or that represents a denomination, but you need to go to someone that you offended and say, you know what, I owe you an apology. And, and Jesus says, practice confession. Uh, after that, we talked about um, anger, something that nobody struggles with. <laughs> and, and anger says, you owe me. And Peter says, how many times do we have to forgive someone before we can walk away? And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. I want you to be someone that practices forgiveness. Because the things that have hurt you, they're not going to go away if you meet a religious quota. And last week we talked about greed. And greed says, you owe me. Greed, <laughs> greed loves, uh, I th- just think of Des Bryant when he gave an interview. He says, I want to love me some me, right? Greed is all about them. It's their world. You're just happening. You just happen uh, to live in it. And so Jesus says to combat greed, we have to be a generous people. Not just with our finances, but with our time, our energy, and our resources. I mean, that, that's just science. If we're, not, if we're not happy, we're not generous, that, that affects our heart, that affects our, our weight gain, it affects our depression and anxiety. Well, today we're going to talk about the fourth and final emotion. And before I get to it, uh, I'm going to see if you can guess kind of where we're going here. In the early 2000s, there was a teacher and educator by the name of Rosalind Wiseman, and she was uh, being asked to stay after school by a lot of the moms, and, and specifically being asked, how do I help my teenage daughter navigate uh, the high school experience with, with boys and dating and sex and drugs and partying and, and having you know, self-confidence and, and not you know, putting your whole identity by how many likes you get on Instagram or who's following your Instagram stories. And so what she decided to do was to write a book. Uh, there was enough need that she would write a book. And so she wrote the groundbreaking book, Queen Bees and Wannabes. And this is how she describes high school gals Uh, and and just the need to belong. She says, we all want to feel a sense of belonging. This isn't a character flaw. It's fundamental to the human experience. Our finest achievements are possible when people come together to work for a common cause, school spirit, the rightful pride we feel in our community, our heritage, our religion, and our families all come from the value we place on belonging to a group. And that's just true of high school girls and guys. Well, this book did so well that the queen of comedy picked it up, Tina Fey. And she said, this is so good, let's make it into a movie. And that movie was called Mean Girls. Now, I'll have to admit, I I did 10 years of student ministry, and I didn't watch it once. Because I I did not want to believe that girls treated each other (laughs) the way that this movie portrayed. And my wife, before I moved out here, made me watch it. And I looked at her, and I said, yes, they are. They (laughs) are. Yes, they are. 
Uh, here's the deal. Mean Girls, if you've not seen it, is uh, about a gal, Lindsay Lohan, who moves to the States from Africa, went to a small private school, and is going to a public school for the very first time. And she befriends a group of, of gals that this book is talking about, and people call them, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's, it's not a compliment, but they call them the plastics for how shallow they are. And here's a clip of her just kind of feeling them out, Wanting to know if, if they can, if she can fit in Lindsay Lohan. So check out this clip. Having lunch with the plastics was like leaving the actual world and entering girl world. And girl world had a lot of rules. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. Well, I mean, not just you, like any of us. Okay, like if I was wearing jeans today, I would be sitting over there with the art freaks. <laughs> oh, and we always vote before we ask someone to eat lunch with us because you have to be considerate of the rest of the group. Well, I mean, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looks good on you. I wouldn't? Right. Oh, and it's the same with guys. Like, you may think you like someone, but you could be wrong. 120 calories and 48 calories from fat. What percent is that? I 48 into 120? I'm only eating foods with less than 30% calories from fat. It's 40%. Well, 48 over 120 equals X over 100, and then you cross-multiply and get the value of X. Whatever. I'm getting cheese fries. Uh, these are the girls that went on Instagram last week and can't even because pumpkin spice lattes are out, right? And they need a target to shop. Um, I, I, I did not want to believe that, that girls treated each other that way. Now, now you watch that and you, and you think, well, I, I've never done that. But, but if we're being honest, there's somebody that you don't like. Let, let's cut the Sunday school stuff. And that you've actually enjoyed someone having a shortfall in their life, right? They didn't get the job or their kid didn't make the team. And you're just sick and tired of them talking about their kids all the time. Moms, can I get an amen? If you're brave enough, you'll say amen. I did student ministry for 10 years. I know that's true, and I'm not a parent. I know that's true. But, but maybe, maybe, maybe you, you, wished, uh, you didn't wish someone well when hard times fell on them. Or maybe you have um, <clears throat> a, uh, a plastic person in your family that could fit into skinny jeans in their bathing suit last summer, but too many lobster rolls, they can't fit into it this summer. And uh, you're not really all that mad about it. Jealousy, jealousy, there it is, has a way of creeping into our hearts. But jealousy has if kinds of conversation, and not with the person you might expect. Jealousy conversations uh, kind of sound like this. God, if, if you just made me smarter to grab bigger concepts, I, I would have I scored higher on my ACT tests and would have landed in the college of my dreams and would have become a doctor or a lawyer or a professor. Uh, God, if, if you would have just given me a man that, that would have been faithful in my marriage, I wouldn't be in this situation. God, if you would have done this, God, if you would have done that, then my life would uh, be different. And here's the fact about jealousy. If jealousy could talk, jealousy says this, God, you owe me. God, you, have you been there? Have you, have you been there? where you felt like you've been faithful to Jesus uh, your whole life, and yet you're in the season where 
you have a lot of jealousy and you're so angry at God that you just finally yell out and say, God, you owe me. The, the truth is, uh, jealousy does not care if you're religious or not. It's throughout human history, right? Uh, Cain was jealous of Abel. Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of Joseph's relationship with his fathers. Even Woody felt replaced in Toy, Toy Story by Buzz, right? Je jealousy is big enough to even put as a narrative in our movies. And, and the one, one of the things I love about this series is Jesus is really challenging. He's really challenging us to look and ask the bigger question, why or what is going on in our hearts? I, I love how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask for a, a minute soundbite with CNN or Fox News. He announces his kingdom at a wedding, which is kind of a, why would a God do that, right? And then at the end of his ministry, at the end of the Gospel of John, which we're about to read in John chapter 21, he has one final statement that he's going to tell and talk to with Peter. And what does God of the whole universe do after he conquers sin and death? He makes his friends breakfast because he wants to be, like he really wants to be with us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 21. If you don't, it'll be on the screen. Uh, we do have Bibles below, uh, below the chairs. And if you're new, you're, you're welcome to take one and, and keep it. It's our gift uh, to you. This story is rather lengthy, so just hang with me because I think it's really going to uh, help us get our minds around Peter's struggle with jealousy. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. John's very detailed. <laughs> Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. These were high D kind of guys. And the two other disciples were together. So there's a handful of disciples about to go out fishing. I'm going to go out and fish, Simon Peter said to them. Uh, they said, well, hey, we'll go with you. So they went out and got to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, eh, three, four, maybe five o'clock in the morning, uh, which is the primary time to go fishing in the Sea of Galilee if you're making vacation plans for next year. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. I like to think that Jesus is trying to pull one over them. He called out to them, said, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, well, throw your no uh, nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, a passive aggressive way for John to say, that, that's me, uh, the guy writing this book here. Uh, John said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, you <laughs> gotta love Peter. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. He wasn't wearing much is basically what John was saying and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, uh, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards, so a football field. Uh, when they landed, they saw a fire burning, coals with the fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net to shore, and it was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I love that. N none of the disciples dared ask, well, who are you? <laughs> Uh, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after 
he was raised from the dead. Now, if, if, you are, if you're not familiar with uh, the Bible, if you're kind of putting your feet in the water with, with church, there are four books in the New Testament right in the beginning. It's, New Testament's right in the kind of t- t- towards the end of, of, of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what are uh, known as gospels. And th- that's just a fancy word for stories about Jesus. And so if you're interested or curious about Jesus, I would encourage you to start reading uh, the gospel of John, just, just maybe a paragraph a day or a chapter uh, a, a day. And, and if you're fami- but if you are familiar with the Gospels, you, you, you kind of look at Peter, and, and if, if, you're, if you're astute about it, you're, you're asking, why is Peter fishing in a boat? This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has beat sin, death, and science. <laughs> he rose from the dead. And Peter is fishing. I think it highlights two ways jealousy kind of creeps into our lives. Jealousy, number one, likes to wait for the in-between seasons of our life. Jealousy waits in between. Now now picture this. You're going to have to use your creative imagination here. You, you You are Peter. You get asked by Jesus to follow him. That's a big deal. Here's why. In in the first century, if you wanted to follow a rabbi, kind of like our school system here, you had to go to rabbinic school, and then once you received your degree, so to speak, you would apply to follow different rabbis. Rabbis were a big deal in the first century. They were well-respected men that would often give their opinion on different things that were happening in the culture of that day. And then if your rabbi that you uh, interviewed with said, you know what, you're sharp enough, you're good enough, you can follow me. But Jesus, right, invites adults. These are people that, that failed out of Jewish school, okay? They, they, they flunked out. And Jesus goes up to them and says, hey, will you, will you follow me? So it's pretty impressive that you, who failed out of Jewish rabbinic school, would be asked by Jesus, who claims to be God, to, to follow him. And think about this, as a disciple of Jesus, you saw some pretty crazy stuff. You saw some like Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings stuff. You saw Jesus heal lame people, right? People that couldn't walk, you would just get up and see you later. He actually put mud, you saw this, right? You saw Jesus put mud in the eyes of a blind man, and Jesus said, now you can see. And he could see. You saw Jesus turn water into wine. You, 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 you went with Jesus at the invitation of Pharisees to different homes, and you saw people of ill reports, right? Tax collectors, prostitutes interact with Jesus and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees trying to trick Jesus to see if he really is who he says he is. And, and you're freaking out because you know that this, this woman that has been with several men is religiously unclean. Why is, why is she touching Jesus? And, G, and Jesus says, not only will I let you touch me, I'll forgive you and I'll restore you. Do you remember this? You, you were there. So why are you on the boat fishing? What, what happened? I mean, G, 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 Jesus said, Jesus said, that the kingdom of God is coming. I know, I know, but 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 you thought <clears throat> you thought the kingdom of God was like CNN, Fox News stuff with like with military weaponry and horses and cavalry and something out of Braveheart. And and Jesus said, no, it, it's it, it's like a cross. 
It's not like we're going to run over people. We're actually going to do the opposite. It's going to seem passive and like we're a joke. We're actually going to lay our lives down for people. And Jesus talked about this. He talked about it, that he would rise again, even though you would not even understand that because nobody really has ever done that in the history of the world on their own volition. Rise, you were there. <clears throat> Peter, why are you in a boat fishing? When we are in the in-between seasons of life, friends, and we are starting to experience jealousy, and we begin saying in our hearts, God, you owe me. We need people to be victims. We, we, we need to blame other people. We don't want to realize that and the common denominator of all of our relationships is us. It, 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 it's us. And jealousy has a way of creating this narrative that I'm going to write a play or, or a, a, a Netflix series where the people that are farther, uh, farther along in life or better off in life, I need to remain jealous of them so I can some weird sadistic way feel good about myself. I came across this quote this week in preparation for the message and it really knocked me over. I mean, not literally, but I, but I sat at my computer just kind of shocked. And, and it's a powerful statement. Jealousy creates rivalry where none is warranted and imagines competition where none exists. Let, let, me, let me read that again, okay? If you're falling asleep, wake up. This is important. This is important. Jealousy creates rivalry where none is warranted and imagines competition where none exists. Now, I know none of you, including me, have ever made a story up in our heads about somebody else, and we talked to them, and it wasn't as big of a deal as a story we made up in our heads. Like, we've all been there, right? But jealousy needs us, <clears throat> excuse me, to create a narrative, right, where we're not the victims, but other people are victimizing us, and we need to stay angry at them. Because if we don't stay angry at them, that's all we've ever known in our jealousy. So the, really the decision is to remain bitter uh, or, thank you, or to get better. And if you're not healthy emotionally and you're not really giving Jesus all of your heart, it's a lot easier just to be bitter, just to be jealous, right? I mean, at least if, if greed is your thing, at least you have a lot of money and you can buy stuff, right? No? Okay. That landed better in my head. At least if you're angry, you can run over people and get what you want, right? If you're guilty, you may have remorse, but man, maybe college for you was really, really fun. But jealousy? <sighs> jealousy has a way of helping us sit in the easy chair of our own depression, our own anxiety, wanting us to stay mad at somebody that doesn't even know they're mad at us about, doesn't even know that there's a war inside of us playing out against them. That's, that's why Andy Stanley in his book, Enemies of the Heart, which this series is based off of, if, if, if this is, series has meant anything to you, pick it up and read it. It's phenomenal. He says, jealousy is an admission that I can't be happy without your cooperation. I need you to play into my sadistic, immature, poor thinking you need to play this role that I have for you in my head so I can somehow feel better. Because if, if I don't do that, I just don't know what to do in my season in between. Or maybe I'll be like Peter, well, I'll just go back to fishing. 
And, and friends, that, that's what happens when we're in seasons of in-between. We just, we just go back to what's normal, what we do to self-medicate ourselves, right? Like fishing isn't bad. It's not alcoholism, but keeping busy and avoiding Jesus and what's really going on in our heart is. And so it can seem so, um, so uh, safe just to go back to what is familiar if we're not willing to lean in and say, why do I hate and why am I so angry and so jealous of other people? The second thing that jealousy does with our lives, and even Peter, jealousy does not manage expectations well. In verse 15 and following is another chunk of, uh, of text here. Jesus has this conversation after breakfast with Peter. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you, right? Like, what? I mean, it's God. Will you say no? And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you, no, do you love me? He answered, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. God hurts Peter. At least Peter felt hurt by God. Okay, th- that, friend, listen, that, that's, that's okay. That, that's normal experience when following Jesus. When we feel like our expectations are not being met, you, even, even if they're right or wrong, even if they're justified, there are seasons of life where you feel like God has let you down. And that leads us to say, God, you, you owe me. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, this is Peter's response. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John. So that's John, and John's writing this text. Kind of a bit of a narcissistic kind of here. Uh, Whom Jesus loved. <clears throat> this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper, talking about John, and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about John? Jesus answered, if I want to remain alive until I return, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Like, why do you care, Peter? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. So this is John writing about himself. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? A lot going on here. Uh, Jesus has this conversation with Peter using two different Greek words for love. Agape love, which is a love that doesn't like to express itself in words, but through actions, right? If you're an acts of service kind of person, you love doing things for your significant other, your spouse, that, that's agape kind of love. <clears throat> but then there's a philos love that's a brotherly love, a friendly love, where we get uh, the word Philadelphia. It's a kind of love hopefully you feel over the holidays after, you know, three plates of, of uh, Thanksgiving dinner and two and a half slices of pumpkin pie, right? And watching the Dallas Cowboys lose, amen? Uh, so that's, <laughs> okay, all right, I know what gets this crowd going. Um, and, and, that's a, and so Jesus says, Peter, come here, come here. Do you agape me? Like, will you love me when your emotions lie to you? Listen, church, listen. Will you follow me when your emotions lie to you? 
when you're creating this narrative that actually isn't true, but it's helping feed your anxiety, your depression, your jealousy, whatever, will you love me? And Peter says, you, you know, Jesus, you know I feel us, you. You, you, know we're t- you know we're like brothers, right? No, no, no Peter. No, no. G- Peter, do you agape me? Will you lay your li- life down? And Peter says, Jesus, come on, man. I'm running my, my friends here. You know I feel us, or uh, you know I feel us, you. Jesus says a third time. He switches it. Peter, do you feel us, me? And Peter says, yes. I feel lost you. I've been telling you that the whole time. And Jesus says, well, Peter, your future, if you follow me, you'll end up on a cross like me. A crucifixion was a common form of capital punishment in the first century. And, and Peter is coaching, Jesus is coaching Peter, if you don't agape me, if, if you're not willing to follow you, me when your emotions begin to lie to you, uh, you're going to walk off the path, and you're going to go back to what is familiar. You're going to go back to the fishing boat. And, and I, I just wonder, I just wonder for us, when we're in seasons of in-between or transition or wanting to, wanting to speculate and daydream about what, what was uh, once true and holding on to that, I, I wonder if, if, it, if it hurts and hinders the way we're um, managing our expectations in this season of life. And I, lo- I love the third and final uh, thing that happens here. Peter learns that Jesus was for him, even though that Peter wasn't for himself. And I just think that's true of every human, because we're not used to God's kind of love. And Jesus is always for us more than we will ever be <laughs> for ourselves. And sometimes God's love is kind of annoying, if you're honest, because you just kind of want to go and do your own thing. There's a beautiful uh, textual thing that's happening when Jesus or when Peter jumps into the water, puts on his towel, that Jesus did to Peter earlier on in the Gospel of John. John is using the same Greek verb of putting, you know, the towel around your waist as when Jesus put the towel around his waist to wash uh, Peter's feet. There is, this, there is this instant connection, right? Even in waiting, right? Go, go, go watch people at an airport, right? The, the, the longer they're apart, the greater their embrace. And Peter was thrilled to see Jesus again. Maybe, maybe it's not over, right? And he's swimming and just doing everything he can to swim the length of a football field to, to get back to his rabbi, to get back to his Lord. The, the man who knows everything about him and has not given up on him. Jesus talks to Peter and says, look, I know you're going back to what's normal. I know you're self-medicating. I know you're self-loathing with jealousy or anger or greed or guilt. But look, Peter, the mission is still the same. That, that you watched me love people, heal people, forgive people. I, I, I would describe the kingdom of God in a language that they understood, and it captured hearts and minds, and, and people wanted more of that. Peter, don't go back to what's familiar. I still have a mission for you. I've not given up on you, even if you feel like I owe you something. I'm here even though you may not have all your questions answered in this life, 
I will always give you my presence. Every week, friends, we, we talk about an antidote to these emotions, right? We did it for greed, jealousy, uh, anger. And today, the antidote for uh, jealousy is celebration. Celebration is the antidote to jealousy. Now, now, here's what I know living in New England as a Bengals fan, okay? You're going to get back to the, uh, again, yeah, I know it, what gets this crowd going. You, you get back to the Super Bowl, right? And, and as a person that struggles with jealousy in aspects of my life, and even shallow aspects like sports, like ultimately, you know, it's just fun, uh, we have to find ways to practice. Man, I'm so happy for you, right? I'm going to have to say it. Come February, I'm so happy for you. They made it back again, right? And, and, the, and the Bengals went one and out again, right? It, we ha- look, we have to find ways to celebrate other people uh, in their good times. If we don't, we will be stuck. Friends, we will be stuck, right? We'll be stuck blaming and victimizing other people when we're actually the common denominator. Let me close with this verse. I've gone over. Uh, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If of any group in the world today that has a cause for celebration, it's us as Christians. That even in the darkest parts of our soul, Jesus says, I'm still for you. There's a mission. Let's go. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for uh, the series uh, that really captures our, our heart and what you care about the most. And Lord, we just pray that we would be a people that is constantly taking that inward journey, uh, asking, per, asking you permission to form our hearts. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.